And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. We are back to weekly shows now following the Olympics. And of course, this is still a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Meg Linehan. This week, Pablo Mara and Steph Young join me to discuss what exactly is going on in Washington following our reporting on the team's handling of the departure, suspension of head coach Richie Burke. We also take a step back to discuss some larger NWSL issues, including broadcast quality, facing the league after yesterday's media call with NWSL Commissioner Lisa Baird. Now, before we get into the rest of today's episode, as always, to show your support of full-time, plus get all of our women's soccer coverage and everything else The Athletic has to offer on our site and on our app, you can subscribe now at theathletic.com slash full-time. There's always an offer there, and it's always one of our best deals. As this episode is honestly very uh, news-driven, we will actually dig right in. Here's Pablo and Steph. So... <laughs> Trying to think of even where to start with this, and honestly, I think it maybe makes the most sense to just start back in 2019 when Richie Burke got hired or announced as head coach with the Washington Spirit, and this is predating my time at The Athletic, but Steph, you covered this. Um, you really handled this part in our story as well in terms of what the discussion was <laughs> at that point in time, so if you maybe want to walk us through kind of the landscape of how this guy got hired. I think that's a good starting point. They announced the hiring, I want to say December 2018. And then on the Instagram, these comments popped up from someone, a, like a parent of a, of a player he coached on his boys youth team. And I was like, you're hiring an abuser. Like he did, he verbally abused our son. And um, so I, I went to the parents. We confirmed who they were at Black and Red United. We confirmed that the son had played for Richie Burke in that window. And his parents talked about how Richie like stomped out any possible love of soccer. The kid was depressed. You know, he really hated the game. And it was getting to the point where his younger sister, who would watch him play, would see Burke screaming and also start to be afraid. Like, I don't want someone to scream at me when I play soccer. Mm -hmm. So it just cascaded throughout the whole family. And then another player after seeing this reporting who played for Richie in 2015 at DC United's U23 team uh, also came forward anonymously and was like, it lined up exactly. He's like, yeah, he calls you moron, disgrace, failure, just verbally gets on you, uses, you know, homophobic slurs, particularly the F word, both for you and opposing team players. And it made this other guy, the U23 guy to the point as well, where like, I don't want to play soccer. He said, every time I got the ball, I didn't want it. I just didn't want it because I was so afraid of, you know, he would start screaming at me. And he said, it was just a pattern where if you're not one of Richie's guys, 
like a guy he recruited or a player that he brought along or a player that he likes, he'll just ignore you. He'll berate you. You're not on his radar. You don't exist to him. And he would make it until either you left on your own or he just bench you and ignore you. And I think that's kind of lining up with the reporting that you guys did with the spirit where I, I saw that and I was just like, it it's happening again. It's not new. It's exactly the same MO. Exactly. Um, the verbal abuse to the players who, who left because they couldn't handle anymore. And I don't know, it's just heartbreaking. And the most heartbreaking thing of all, actually, aside from, you know, obviously the victims who suffered was in 2019 on the Instagram, as the story started to grow, former players from like that FC Virginia system under Burke or who were, I guess just were in that club or youth teams started flooding the comments. And you can see it in the original article that we had on Black and Red United where we took some screen caps and they, these young men, these teenage boys would come in and defend the behavior. They wouldn't even deny it. They would just be like, yeah, it's fine. If you can't handle getting screamed at, you know, you shouldn't be playing soccer, blah, 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 blah. I got some more of those comments when this story went live here in 2021. And it's really heartbreaking to see that this is the attitude that he's imprinting on the players under him who think that this is an acceptable way to be treated and are probably going to go on to treat other people in their lives this way because they've decided that that's just a normal cost of playing sports or winning or, you know, making an effort at something. And truly like the effects of what Richie Burke is alleged to have done, we are, they are going to ripple out for a long, long, long time beyond just the players that you guys reported on. Yeah. I mean, although to be fair, some of the players, obviously Kai McCullough is, is kind of the big player who, who stepped forward, right. Who, Mm -hmm. There's a big report in the Washington Post about Richie Burke's behavior um, featuring former players with the spirit who have basically left the game. And I think one of the most painful things to read is basically, you know, a player that's saying I lost my love of soccer because of this experience and Mm -hmm. the lack of protection and the kind of failure on every single level of, you know, someone said to me yesterday as I was working the phones, like we knew who he was from the beginning. And I think that's definitely the frustrating part. Um, Pablo, in terms of, as a DC person, right, you kind of already had a sense of some of the landscape that's in place, like when when we're reporting out about FC Virginia and and things like that. But one of the other things that I just kind of keep hearing is just how everybody in this world kind of knows each other and it's, it's reinforced. And do you think that is also playing a role here? Like it just kind of, you know, as we know, Steve Baldwin, owner of the Washington spirit hires Richie Burke because he coached his daughter, hires Larry best because he coached his daughter. There's just kind of this world at play here. Yeah. I mean, you're describing probably not just DC, but, but, the whole of the American youth soccer community is pretty insular, right? And those tentacles sometimes reach into the uppermost levels of the professional game. I mean, I think what's interesting to me is, um, you know, it's it's sort of like an open, I would say an open secret, Richie Brooks sort of, we'll, we'll call it his coaching technique. It's obviously been revealed to be borderline or actually abusive behavior since then has been something that I've heard about anecdotally for years, right? I mean, anybody who covers the gamers involved in it in the DC metropolitan area 
has heard about it. So to me, it's what makes it so crazy um, that the spirit chose to look the other way on it. I mean, look at minimum, like I said, that the things you hear are sort of anecdotal, but they're, they're certainly enough to like give an employer pause or cause them to do a very, very, very thorough investigation into what those things are, um, you know, before they get hired. And frankly, it's not as if there's a, a limited or small pool of potential coaching candidates that could helm an NWSL team. There are people who, um, you know, are excluded opportunistically from those jobs frequently, you know, so it makes it all the more bizarre to me that the spirit went ahead and hired him. Um, you know, like I said, around DC, this sort of stuff has been, you've heard chatter about this for ages. I mean, I just last week when, when, um, when you, you know, when the three of us first learned about this and before we sort of uncovered maybe more of the bare facts of it, I was at a bar with a friend of mine whose son played for, um, Burke and he, you know, before I even mentioned any sort of abusive behavior, I said, Jesus, he used to just berate my kid. You know, he used to, he remembers him yelling stuff at him. Like, you know, if you cost us one more effing game or you're costing, you know, we're losing every game for us, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, so like I said, this stuff has just sort of been out there in the ether forever. Yeah. Well, one I thing think- I want to ask you, Pablo, is like, so we hear about this anecdotally, but this is where I really want to commend Kaya McCullough because I can't imagine being 21, 22, fresh graduate, no connections in the soccer world besides maybe you know my my college coach or a couple of youth coaches and she sees this and has the strength to walk away and then later on is willing to come talk about it and i want to emphasize first of all like if you are a victim of this kind of behavior you have every right to protect yourself to just never talk about it again to treat it however you need to handle it in order to you know survive absolutely not saying that you anybody should have spoken up but it is what makes it so hard to cover like you hear it anecdotally right but then you go ask questions and nobody's willing to talk because they're scared which is so understandable it's completely understandable but even kaya mccullough said you know after it all came out she said on her twitter like i'm scared like right now i'm scared it's all out in the open and she's still scared because it was a scary thing to do so yeah, I just wanted to, you know, kind of put that out there with you guys that like, of course, yeah, maybe you hear about it anecdotally, but it's so hard to report. And I really commend Molly, who um, Molly Hensley Clancy, who, you know, opened up with this at the post and, and talked to other players as well. Um, even anonymously talking about it is scary. And it's not just fear of retribution. It's like, it's re-traumatizing yourself all over again. Kaya has been really open about how not just this instance, but when people ask her to talk on issues relating to Black lives or, you know, race and end of herself, she's like, that re-traumatizes me all over again. So I think I wanted to emphasize, like, the human element underneath all this reporting. Yeah, I think it's it's a tremendous feat, especially, you know, between dealing with your own, you know, your own emotions and also it just goes back to the insular thing. You know, it's so easy if you're one of these players and you would speak out about it, you get a reputation for being quote unquote difficult or, you know, that sort of stuff. And I think, especially younger players nowadays, I mean, I think Meg, you and I joked about it before the, the, the taping. It's like, there's this sort of built in reputation that younger people these days are like soft and like, can't handle this sort of 
behavior when in reality, obviously the behavior is incredibly problematic and people who are from those sort of older generations never should have had to deal with it in the first place. You know, so yeah, it's massive yeah, of Kai think- to speak out. I mean, obviously it's how, it's how the dialogue moves forward. It's how this behavior starts to change is by, um, by, by the few people that, that are, you know, able to do this, um, you know, coming forward and, and sort of like, you know, moving things along. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, and I think it also speaks to, you know, we're we're now in the middle also of a CBA negotiation. Obviously, we have seen a lot of coverage that has stemmed from First of all, like one aside, the fact that we only got the anti-harassment policy in the NWSL this year, which is its own issue, right? And I think now Megan Burke, you know, I talked to Megan Burke for this the story that we had yesterday, and she basically said, we're now reckoning with this league. We're looking at ourselves, and this is a, this is a reckoning that is happening. And I think that is very true, and I think behaviors that have felt not necessarily good or right, but have been viewed as acceptable, we are now actually looking at them and saying, man, there's a lot of problems here. <laughs> like there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that we need to reevaluate and decide what is actually being productive and are we protecting players? And so yes, it's good. And I don't know if using growing pains is the right way that we're talking about this because I see a lot of people saying, well, these are growing pains for the league. And you have to, I think reckoning is a much better term for what we're going through right now. But so like, I mean, to your point about players speaking up, I mean, there is also just kind of the frustration of hitting the wall of, and we've seen this a lot of times in, in coverage of women's sports is first of all, the accessibility is not always there, but you know, you can ask the question as many times as you want, but if you're getting this wall of, we, we looked into it, it's fine. We've told you this. Like, how many times can you expect to ask that question, especially of the team? Because it was ha- it's not that it was not happening. Right. It, there's, like, something... I think one of the things that really frustrates me the most is I want to report on something, right? But I get stonewalled by the league or the team. And then there's only so much you can ask about it before they stop dealing with you um, until you get something else additionally, externally, that helps put pressure on them. And if you don't have that leverage, they just stop dealing with you. And, you know, you you yell about it long enough, you, you turn into like a crank almost. 
where you're just like the one person hammering at them on this issue. And they're like, we want to talk about other stuff. We don't want to talk to you. And so I don't know. I just, I know a lot of people when this reporting dropped felt guilty and it all, you always feel guilty when a report drops. You're like, especially us, right? Because we're positioned to be able to talk to people. But as we talked about before, like people have to come forward and you can't force people to do that because they have to look after their own safety and health first. And so there's this line you have to walk. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on our side of it, but it just feels like there's this line you have to walk between not badgering someone into talking to you before they're ready versus digging and digging, like being dogged on a story versus, you know, not getting freaking blacklisted by the league or a club for being this one person who gets on every call and is like, well, commissioner, what about, you know, this and this and this and this, like with the black players and uh, in the black women's players collective and, you know, broadcasts and all this other stuff, you just keep hammering at it and you get the same answer every single time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting too, because I, the, I, uh, when you get a reputation for being a troublemaker in any kind of way, quote unquote troublemaker, um, you know, I've, I've had MLS teams, for, for example, say, oh, we'd just love to talk about soccer. And I'm like, yeah, so would I. Like, <laughs> so would I. This is like, I don't enjoy writing these stories particularly. I don't enjoy, like, uh, dealing with, with you know, um, really difficult subject matter. I, too, would rather just write a really palatable, easy, uh, you know, player profile and then just go for a drive somewhere and drink some beers at a happy hour. But that's just not the environment we we you know we're a part of and until this sort of stuff changes drastically the story's just going to keep getting written you know like i don't know what else to say <laughs> i do i, I want to shift us over into another part of this too because there has been a story stuff to your point about having to be patient sometimes the the story that we finally kind of got across the line yesterday about Tom Torres, who was an assistant coach with the Spirit and had served actually as interim head coach of the Spirit. Um, you know, there's a disconnect there from his departure and what actually happened to how the team presented it. And I was aware of it from pretty much the moment it happened last summer, but was never able to fully report it because you cannot just, like, one source, yes, can absolutely be telling you the truth, but you have to be able to fully report it out, right? And make sure that if you are putting this out into the world, that you are correct and accurate and your sources are correct and accurate. And so the Tom Torres thing is inappropriate conduct happened and the team's release said he's pursuing other interests. And it was, you know, with the, the nice quote of, we wish him the best, he's gonna go off, he's gonna do his own thing. But knowing that there is this other story now, we also have a pattern, not just in Richie Burke's behavior and the fact that it has kind of consistently been enabled and he has been able to get other roles, but now there's also this pattern within the spirit of something is happening within the club, but what we are going to say publicly does not reflect that. Yeah, I want to point out that the player I spoke to who said he played in 2015, um, he, he also alleged Tom Torres witnessed a lot of this behavior and I'm sure he witnessed Burke doing it later as well. Um, and he said, yeah, Tom never said a thing. And at the same thing at the time, asked the spirit for comment from Torres, no comment. I mean, you can see why they wouldn't, but it's the same pattern. 
Yeah, I mean, it also, you know, these people have future employers, right? And when you, when when you do this sort of what what somebody might consider collegial thing and say he's departing for a different opportunity and we wish him the best, right? I mean, that might not seem harmful, uh, you know, to an HR person or to the CEO of a company, but obviously future employers need to be made aware of certain problematic behaviors, period, end of story. You know what I mean? And so like, that is the effect of that. I mean, um, Tom Torres, I don't know him personally. You know what I mean? I, I just understand that obviously now he works with young women at the St. James and, you know, for, by all accounts that, and, you know, hopefully they were aware of this history before he was hired there, but, you know, by all accounts, maybe the spirit didn't do their best publicly, at least to make anybody aware of it, you know? So it's obviously deeply concerning, you know, what we're seeing here is a pattern by the organization, obviously, of sort of um, letting people go or moving them on for positions for problematic behavior and then not letting the general public know about it. Um, it's, it's There's also like to even take another step back, though, this is not necessarily even a new thing within the NWSL. We have seen head coaches come into this league or depart this league and then immediately get other roles. And I'm thinking particularly of Fareed Benstidi, who a lot of reports about him he ends up as head coach of Ole Reign and then departs someone like Craig Harrington, where that that was kind of some fallout of our reporting in Utah. And he is now with a team in, in Liga MX Feminile, right? Like there is a culture of even if coaches have problematic behavior, that is very clear, like and has been reported and there are credible reports about it it does not prevent them from moving on and getting other roles. And I think that happens everywhere across sports, but there is a, a particular element to it in women's soccer where while we are having all of these other conversations about where are the women coaches, right? We're, we're now starting to see women coaches come into this league. There are so many open positions within the NWSL now there's a much larger conversation to have about how people get these jobs, how people continue to get these jobs. I don't know. Like we were both on the, well, all three of us were on the Lisa Bard bear call yesterday. Was there anything that stood out to you, Steph, in terms of this? (laughs) She said for how many words she used, I feel like she did not say a lot on any topic. She opened with, you know, a comment. That's a good commissioner right there though. I mean, it's Duffian in her performance. Um, and she talked about, you know, I tried to ask her several questions about Rise because Annie Costabile did some great reporting for the Chicago Sun-Times on that, where she tried to get in touch with Lisa. And that's something that, you know, we're also working on at the moment. But the league didn't respond to Annie's request for a comment. They wouldn't make Lisa Baird available, as far as I understand it. And, you know, this is our chance. And she just did not say a lot. Um, honestly, she deferred a lot to Rise's leadership, which I thought was kind of a cop out. Um, it's like, why don't you talk about what you're, what you wanted, why you went to this group? And we tried to ask about that and kind of dodged it again. You know, I thought that she didn't really say too, too much about, um, you know, player pay or referees or broadcasts. Um, <sighs> So yeah, not not a, a ton stood out to me, but she also did say a lot. And <laughs> we were concurrently working on 
the Burke story at the same time as the press conference. So maybe need to detangle some stuff. I mean, I was, yeah, I mean, there, I felt some sense of relief that she at least, um, uh, voluntarily and initially addressed, um, Burke's behavior towards Ashley Hatch, which by the way, sort of gets lost in all of this because there's so much other stuff to talk about, but, um, that she made a very strong statement uh, about that, you know, by her own doing, I was relieved that she didn't even have to be asked about it. You know what I mean? But certainly like her response, you know, her initial statement basically mirrored the spirit statement about Burke and she immediately said she wasn't going to address it. So <clears throat> those things, obviously you can talk about all the policies and procedures you have in place to protect players from a sort of behavior um, all you want. Uh, it just sort of like when you temper it with, I'm not going to address this one specific situation immediately. Um, it certainly has less of an effect, you know. I think there's some real tension now, too, and, and we've seen this growing, I would say, especially over the past year of, I don't know if there's ever a huge amount of trust with the NWSL front office. I don't want to ever make that claim because there wasn't, and I think there is always a push for transparency, but I think as the the challenges have grown, as Utah happens, right, as teams get moved, as teams get shut down, as we start to see some of this, I mean, I will always think about the situation in Utah that happened with abuse coming from the stands, me asking what policy they're referring to in their own statement and the league never being able to produce said policy, which you think would be something that they could provide and not necessarily open them up to any sort of, ah, yes, you're sharing confidential information, right? But there is this tension of we have been getting these investigations and we we will get a result, but there's really not ever a lot more. And and to be fair, that is, I would say, fairly standard for sports leagues. But now I feel like we're starting to get into this question of can we trust the league to act in good faith on behalf of the players? There's, I'm in, there are two answers here. And the first one is maybe it's not that deep, but when you communicate in order to get anything useful out of the communication, there has to be some element of assumption of good faith. If you come to the communication, assuming initially right off the bat that at least one of you is operating in bad faith, then that communication is not going to be successful. And whether that's with the players in the league on the CBA or us as media talking to the league, um, to a certain extent, yes, I think, there's, there's something to be said for healthy suspicion or, um, you know, healthy skepticism. Like, yes, investigating the claims that they make. But on that level, can we trust the league? In, on some, in some ways, you have to. You have to. Um, some, at some point, you just have to be like, well, if that's what they're going to say, then that's what they're going to say. I don't know if that's what you would call good faith or not. The other hand, what I just said about healthy skepticism, maybe not. <laughs> Steph sounds like the NWSL's marriage counselor. It's incredible. <laughs> I did start I mean, therapy this year, and clearly it's working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's now it's not even necessarily for for us, right? But I I just think in terms of it feels like the communication between those who watch the league and the people running the league is now completely just not productive. That's that's where I think 
we're at. And I, just to, to come from, and this is something that we were discussing in a meeting before we started recording this podcast, right? Like the shift in public perception of this league from within the dedicated fan base. I think about where we were at post-Challenge Cup last summer, and I think about where we're at right now in this summer, and these are two very wildly different places. And I think there's a lot there's a lot to dig into there. I'm sure we will be writing about it, but they're they're kind of facing issues on a lot of sides, and whether that's the coaches, whether that's the broadcast, whether that is their rise partnership, refer like the there's always been that list, and now everything is kind of at an eleven out of ten. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think like I said earlier, Meg, the NWSL has the it's a good thing, obviously, but has a fan base that's educated and progressive, and you know is invested in the league, invested in its success, that that holds the league under a microscope. This is a good thing for the most part. It does not have the luxury though of you know, maybe what the NFL or Major League Baseball and some of the other leagues in the U.S. have where fans are willing to look the other way on a lot of stuff because they enjoy the product, period. That's never going to be the end of WSL's reality, probably. You know, so um, so stories like these, as long as they keep happening, they're, they're still going to continue to be exposed. They're still going to need to be dealt with, you know, and the league is going to have to sort of evolve to to deal with those stories and and make institutional changes accordingly, you know. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Although that's exactly what Lisa said on the call where she said they did the internal research and said they have a core fan base of 10 million that they're counting and their key characteristics are young, educated, diverse. Yep. And if I think there's not to be ghoulishly business minded about this, but if you're coming at this from a marketing or brand perspective, if that's what your um, if that's what your pool of consumers is, then if your brand doesn't match with your consumer expectation, of course you're going to get roasted every yeah. single friggin' week on Twitter. Well, it's ironic too. I mean, that's, you just described like the dream demographic that like so many that, for example, MLS is just flailing and unsuccessfully trying to, to reach. I mean, look, at, I mean? look at major league baseball and, and their approach of like, well, maybe we can get the young kids in if we partner with Barstool, right? <laughs> like, God. <laughs> delete that name for the we market. don't have enough time to unpack all of that right now yeah, but yeah right I mean, if nothing yeah, else the, i want to appeal to lisa baird's business sense because i think she has some yeah and be like lisa you are not monetizing your user base correctly and so it right. sounds even, so even disgusting cynically, like even yeah. cynically this is like what the league needs to do you know what i mean it <laughs> sounds disgusting to put it that way but like it's kind of the only thing that's going to reach her and the ownership like you're not going to talk to a millionaire in any other way but like your money is on the line here's how to make the money 
Have we have we tried <laughs> have we ha tried asking the wealthy people of this country just to do the right thing? Have we tried that yet? <laughs> that doesn't work. Is that what you're saying? My money, please. What I, yeah. what I find really interesting too is you know the the league announced a partnership. I think it was this week. I don't know. I have no sense of time after the Olympics, <laughs> but. The, this partnership with a, a company that's going to do like in-game shit on their Twitch streams with like polls and interactive features and everyone is like we're asking you for more cameras <laughs> for actual like decent broadcasts not for like distracting shit while we're like we need to actually be able to watch the games and and see what is happening in a game and and also honestly improve the commentary like that's what we're asking for not all this other shit so sometimes i do think that there is this kind of push from the nwsl of like they do have big aspirations great but you also you can't you can't get to step 15 without completing step two sometimes and that's where i think the disconnect happens with some of the smaller stuff of you know i wrote the the column earlier this year of they keep announcing every single partnership as groundbreaking stuff. And it's like, sometimes you can just let good things be good and steps in the right direction. And when it's truly something that deserves attention, people will pay attention yeah, because you haven't, you haven't said every single partnership with a bank <laughs> is groundbreaking. Or maybe just get the foundational stuff correct before you move on to the quote unquote groundbreaking stuff. I mean, there's things that, uh, what you're describing, broadcast quality, is something that every single demographic hears about. Like any 22-year-old who turns on an, an, an NWSL stream will be put off immediately if the quality isn't what they think it is. Um, even if there are like, I don't know, like if there's like an embedded Fortnite game projected on the <laughs> scoreboard. Or, I mean, you know, I will be about doing, like, sorry, I am paid to watch these games, like Twitch games. They are not pleasant. They're not I mean, pleasant. I think it's just so telling. That was on my list of questions that I wanted to ask her. Like, Lisa, as a business person, do you think the potato quality of the broadcast <laughs> is impacting your ability to sell it to your fans and sponsors? But that was so far down the list of shit that we wanted to ask her. Like, there was so much more important shit that we had to ask her. But that broadcast quality was lower on the list? Are you kidding me? Like, I would love for broadcast quality to be the number one thing that we have to ask this league about. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the really telling things about broadcast quality, again, to point to another Washington Post report, but there was one about broadcast quality in the NWSL and Becca Rue, who is executive director of the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association. And as we have seen, does have real influence in terms of bringing potential sponsors or, or owners to, to the NWSL, right? Like, that is not part of her job description, but what she does. And, and she's quoted in that story of saying like, I have to pick and choose what games I'm telling them to watch. Like I have to be really careful about what I'm putting in front of them. That's not good. That's not good. I, is potato I is potato quality something people say? Cause that's just an incredible way to describe anything. <laughs> yeah, sorry. catch up Pablo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, dude. I mean, but that's yeah. that has been such a long-standing. I mean, back when I worked for NWSL and we lived through the Go Ninety times, and I was the one who was just being very sad on the NWSL Twitter account, trying <laughs> to help people live through the Go Ninety era, right? Like, <sighs> it's. <laughs> You speak, you're talking it about just, that like it was the 1980s, by the way. Not like yeah, several it was years. not. It was, it was like, 
I mean, three and a half years ago. We would ever long for lifetimes <laughs> production quality. But lifetime put real like so. Here's another part of this too on the broadcast thing. So I I have become very fascinated with today's um, Field of Dreams game in MLB and our coworker at the Athletic, uh, Richard, has this whole story about all of the production that's going into this game. And obviously, yes, it's this big standalone effort. But he listed what Fox is doing for this game. And it's something like 39 cameras, drones, like just the list of what they are using on this one regular season game, which, yes, granted, is this like obviously like big effort because they are literally putting it in a cornfield, but 39 cameras and we're like hopeful for three. And the, right. the cameras actually can follow the ball <laughs> where it is on screen. Maybe this is on me, but I noticed something. When I was watching the Olympics and trying to do tactical analysis, I was like, this feels a lot easier. Am I smarter? Did I get smarter? <laughs> and then I went back to watching NWSL. I was like, no, it's the camera quality. <laughs> and it's like zoomed way in and it's low down. So you're not getting the high up tactical view. And I was like... Oh, I'm not smarter. Sad. I wish I were just smarter, but it was the it was the quality. And I had someone else who covers the game. She was trying to watch a game, analyze what happened. She literally could not tell two players apart on the screen because it, they were just so fuzzy and small and had brown ponytails. That was it. That was all she saw. She couldn't even read their numbers. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, again, there's. I think the the fact that we had. Before even the Burke stuff really blew up, right? We had this whole list of questions going into that media availability. And I feel like even with that many people on the call, just we only really scratched the surface in terms of all of the stuff. And, and to be fair, we have to put all of the usual disclaimers on the NWSL that they are still understaffed. The, the resources and investment aren't there. I think all of that is still valid stuff, but also... I think this has been the real struggle with the NWSL is that the league has wanted to stand on its own two feet for a while, and they finally really did make that move in the in the amicable divorce with U.S. Soccer, which also announced via a, a Lisa Baird press conference with like no <laughs> nothing behind it. Um, but now, if if the league truly wants to be this independent successful thing going into year 10 new brand on the way all of this kind of stuff you can project an image as much as you want but you gotta the fans are gonna know if there is a disconnect between that image that you're projecting and what they're actually watching and that's the biggest tension you know what i would i would respect if Lisa Baird, like, she's been getting all these sponsors, right? And so that's where my thinking of, like, okay, she has some kind of business sense here. She's got contact. She's got a plan. Maybe she needs to shift laterally to be, like, in charge of sponsorships, not commissioner. But I would almost respect if she was like, we don't have the money. And so that's what I'm doing all this for. My goal, my one goal this year is to line up mega sponsors because we are so understaffed, to your point, Meg. And then once we have the staff in place, we can concretely address all the issues. We can put money into finding a better broadcast partner. We can put money into, you know, 
investing in referees because that's literally what's going to take to get PRO to like care about NWSL money. Um, so if she had said, I am taking this year and my goal this year is to just get us, I want to plaster every billboard with big national sponsors. And that's my only focus. And I'm so sorry to these other important issues, which we will, you know, try to keep going. But our main focus right now is literally trying to get enough people to do everything that you want us to do. I think I would respect that a lot more, but of course we don't know the plan. It just seems kind of like they're trying to, you ever seen a cartoon where like, uh, a leak springs up so the character plugs it and then the next leak and they plug it again and the next leak and they start running out of limbs and like comically they're yep. trying to plug all these leaks that's what it feels like i mean yep. it's interesting it'd be interesting though the, the type of money you're talking about comes from corporations that are going to be highly problematic i mean like can lisa baird the nwsl commissioner go out and get like a qatar airways sponsorship can she get a, you know, will, will the fan base sort of tolerate that? I mean, it's just an interesting thing to unpack. You know what I mean? Like the based uh, on Angel City. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like as the end of we're seeing that tension in Angel City sure, right sure, now. Yeah. And like as the league con continues to grow, say there is more interest, say there are bigger, bigger companies and um, wealthier and wealthier individuals trying to invest in the league. Um, the league's going to have to make some pretty tough ethical decisions, too, as far as, you know, how that money flows in. Just, I mean, that's just a, a point. It's not, you know. Yeah, that's a whole nother podcast, Paolo. We could talk. I know, about I know. I'm trying to give. The, I'm trying to give both of you like another thing to be <laughs> to have anxiety about for no reason, you know. So. Well, yeah. How do I reconcile my anti-capitalist sentiments with yeah. working in an industry that is exclusively fueled by capitalism? Yeah, well, by writing good, like insightful, investigative journalism. That's the answer. But whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, not the first time capitalism has come up on this podcast by a long stretch. I was so. told that's what this podcast was about. It was anti-capitalist, <laughs> that it was like, you know, whatever, communist hour yeah. with Megan Steph or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be the new updated title. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get it on the list. All right. I, I guess any closing thoughts since we are coming up on some time here, but. Yeah, I mean, who, I, who, are, I, who are the Washington Spirit going to replace Richie Burke with? I'm in the long term, that's going to be another huge. Uh, how many? How? It's not even just Washington Spirit. There's so many coaching positions open, and now also I think that there is this expectation of teams need to find qualified women to fill them with, yep. and also where's this? Like this pipeline has not been built in this country yet in a in a very meaningful fashion. We what was. Very interesting is that in both like the best and worst time ever, U.S. Soccer NWSL Players Association and the league announced that there are players going through a, a B course that is fully subsidized by the Jill Ellis Scholarship. And, you know, we've got players like Ali Krieger, McCallzer, Boney, all of these these names that are going to go get their B licenses. But also this is slightly behind where we need to be. But you have Becca Moros, right, kind of being an assistant coach with Gotham FC and then immediately getting poached by college where there's security. I think there's two things that I want to, I want people to consider here. The first one is, I think it's important to hire women, but not because hiring women will solve all of your abuse problems. Because as, um, I mean, there have been cases in the past where, you know, 
women as coaches can also be horrible to their players. It's about the power and the authority that they wield. It's not necessarily about the gender. So I want to caution people against saying hiring women is a cure-all to the issues that we were just discussing with Richie Bird. The second one being, if we want to hire women, it's going to require teams to take a risk. Because once again, as you said, Meg, women, the pipeline is not built out for them. They don't have the same experience, the same networks. The one really good coaching thing I think the spirit ever did was taking a risk on Mark Parsons. He was a relative unknown at the time. Um, they lost their head coach and they elevated Mark Parsons into the role. And now look at him. He's headed to the Netherlands at the end of the season. He's got the thorns looking lean and mean right now. So, but he was a relative unknown. He had very little, I don't think he had any pro experience. He was, you know, assistant coach who was waiting for his time. And that's what clubs are going to have to do. Are they willing to do that for women? They're clearly willing to much more willing to do it for men, for white men. But are women, are people of British color accent. going to <laughs> get British accent. the same consideration? That's what it's going to take. It's going to take a club being brave enough to take a risk on a coach who's not a white English guy because the pipeline's not there. So if you want to truly expand your coach of, of women in the pool, there are plenty of women who have done the work and have like the goods for it, but they've never been given the opportunity. Yeah, it's, it cracks me up how much this cracks me up is the wrong thing to say, but it strikes me how much this this sort of that sort of discussion mirrors. Um, you know, I wrote a coach on the t near total lack of black head coaching, um, you know, uh, black head coaches in MLS historically. And the question is always, well, give me a list. Give me a list. Like, you know, who is the qual who are the qualified candidates here? And it's like, yeah, no, it's going to take like. Uh, forward-thinking owner to like start taking chances on people with less experience to make this happen doesn't mean they're like not you know doesn't mean that like those candidates are are you know won't win as many games or won't be uh, you know as good at their job as some you know dude who's been doing it for 30 years it just means that people do not want to take that chance and that's sort of what what keeps the cycle going you know um, so I don't know I'd be really interested something tells me the spirit will I was going to say something tells me the spirit will do the right thing, but I, I don't know. <laughs> like lost, I lost faith mid sentence. Um, hopefully they do, you know. The players deserve it. God for the player's sake. I hope they get someone who passes the super low bar that has been set. It is really interesting though. Obviously we do have, more women entering this league right now from a coaching point of view. Casey Stoney coming in with San Diego, Becky Burley taking over in Orlando while they go through their hiring process. So when we were down to one via, via Freya at Gotham, right? Um, I think people felt pretty grim and there has already been the shift of there's also a Casey Stoney feels like an extremely qualified candidate, right? So I think that there is hopefully that shift. Laura Harvey coming back into the league, right? Like there's no real shortage of experience for her, but it is going to be very interesting to see not also just if, if we get someone other than a white woman too in the role. The two black women I can recall in this league being in any of prominence in any role, not just coaching Brianna Scurry, who I don't think is with the spirit anymore. And well, yeah, not as a coach, but as yeah. an investor. Yeah. Yep. Um, and and as Trinity Rodman's mentor as well. Yeah, yeah. Which is so 
I, I really wish that more black players in this league can have, you know, mentors who look like them and any Aluko over at ACFC. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Sorry about the dog. That's fine. I'm wondering which, um, which one right. of you's pup that was. Um, is it Zahav? Mystery yeah, was it's, solved. it's Zahav, the 90 pound mad lad. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Um, I, I feel like this is not going to be the end of our journey, both on Washington reporting, but also there's a lot more. There's a lot more to talk about. I think we have have known that for not just this week, but for a while. So thank you to you both for coming on and discussing, and hopefully um, everyone actually gets to go to bed at a reasonable time at some point this week. No, it's going to be like Return of the King, where you kept thinking that the movie was ending, but then there was like another scene. Sorry. Thank you again to the two of them for joining the show. Again, all of our coverage is at The Athletic. There is, I'm sure, a lot more on the way. One more thing. Hey, I did hit on sneakers today, so if nothing else, maybe that's a sign. I'll see you all in Portland next week for the Women's ICC, both stuff, and I will be there, actually, to cover the games. For all things full-time, visit fulltimepod.com. There are links for all of the major podcast platforms in one spot, plus more info. You can subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. My name is Meg Linehan. You've been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. I'm Meg. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.